Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Got a special edition for you today. We got rants. I got a couple good rants. The Supreme Court just dealt with a, a sports case, college sports. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the 17-game schedule in the NFL. And I want to get to our guest today. This Deshaun Watson thing is dominating NFL news, at least off the field. Uh, what's going to happen to him, what really happened. You have massage therapists accusing him. You have massage therapists supporting him. Hasn't been a lot of reporting about it with the women accusing him, but one there has been is Kaylin Kaler, who I worked with at Sports Illustrated, now for Defector Media. She will come on, talk about her reporting and the patterns with the women that are accusing Deshaun Watson. We'll get to that after the rants, and we'll get to the rants after word from our sponsor, DraftKings. We've got 68 teams Remember when they started the tournament? Now you can bet $1 on any tournament game. If your team wins, we still got a few games left. You get $100. So turn $1 into $100, 100 to 1 odds. So pick any team still in the hunt, and you get $100. All it takes is a $1 bet to make that $100. No better way to put your college basketball knowledge to test and DraftKings Sportsbook. Safe, secure, reliable, deposit with your, draw your funds at your convenience. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, when you sign up. Turn $1 into $100. If the college team of your choice pulls off the win, that's code ROSS. Turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. New customers apply and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. News in my nerdy world of sports law. It's kind of us. We're giddy today because as we sit here on Wednesday, March 31st, the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, the most respected jurisprudence spot in, in the country, heard a case today involving sports. There's not many of those. You can probably count them on one hand. I teach them all in law school. Today was Austin v. NCA, actually NCA bringing the case, and give you my quick take on it. What's at stake is capping pay or capping benefits is the best way to put it for college athletes. Jeffrey Kessler, who's the lawyer that has represented the NBA PA, the NFL PA, Tom Brady, Ray Rice, Zeke Elliott, all these U.S. women's soccer. I've had him on the podcast a couple of times. He's representing the player. His name is Austin. He used to play football at West Virginia. This case has been winding its way through the courts for years, and the Supreme Court took it. So there's a reason the Supreme Court took it. At stake, I'll get back to that, is if the Supreme Court rules for Austin, for the player's side, there's a good chance that we're going to have looser limits, if any limits, maybe no limits, on what, te- what colleges and conferences can allow for what is given to players. If the NCAA wins, like a sweeping win, then we're not going to see these lawsuits anymore. We're not going to see NIL lawsuits, even though that's going to continue. We're not going to see pay-for-play lawsuits. We're not going to see increased benefits lawsuits. So that's what the NCAA appealed to the Supreme Court from the Ninth Ninth Circuit. That's what they want. Okay, I'm going to play a dangerous game of reading the tea leaves. Although the game worked with the sports betting case a couple of years ago, where the justices were much more aggressive with the leagues like NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB than they were with New Jersey in the sports betting case. And sports betting case was won by New Jersey. And we now have the proliferation of sports betting around the country. 
In this case, it, it balanced out somewhat. The first part was, again, the NCA lawyer. And these justices were very aggressive, very strident towards the NCA lawyer, especially uh, Judge Kavanaugh, uh, Judge Kagan. I thought Judge Gorsuch, although not strident, was really questioning the whole line of reasoning. And there was a lot of feeling that this old trope about amateurism was outdated. And there was talk about monopsonies and monopolies and only one labor market for players, especially with Gorsuch. So there was some strong opinion against them. But when it turned, when Jeffrey Kessler spoke, he also got sharp questioning from the judges, especially Judge Breyer, uh, even as well, some of these other justices like Thomas, uh, who kept saying, you're just going to be back here over and over again, asking for more. So... I think it's a kind of a divided opinion. If I had to say, I think the court will rule on behalf of the players, but I don't think it'll be sweeping. In other words, I don't think it will lift all limits and say pay for play, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State can pay millions of dollars, no problem. I think there's going to be caps. It's going to be something that tries to end the possibility of NCAA uh, players coming in all the time wanting more caps. So that's where we are, I think, on this case. I don't think it'll be unanimous. I think it'll be 6-3 or 5-4. I do think the players will win. But again, as I say, reading the tea leaves on these things is crazy. Uh, It's not good business to do that. But we'll have an opinion in May, I would think, or June at the latest. And we'll have a a seminal opinion on the NCAA college athlete rights. All while going on in the background is NIL name, image, likeness. We've got state bills. We've got federal bills. We've got NCA proposals all on hold because of COVID and this case, Alston. So we'll look for that. My second rant is about the NFL schedule. It's now 17 games is official this year, this time last year. The CBA was agreed to. The players did agree to that CBA by the slimmest of margins. And what I wrote, what I said then, and I'll say it again now, I don't believe the players got sufficient concessions from the NFL for giving into that 17th game. That's unfortunate. I feel for the players. We're never going to 16 again. We're only going to 18, probably in the next CBA in 10 years. Uh, you know, the, the idea is that this, the records will never look, look the same. That's more football oriented from the business standpoint. I just, players percentage of gross revenue of total revenue is the, the key factor in the CBA. I think they were at 47. They stay at 47 last year. They're going to go to 48 with a, uh, a 17 game. And then for 10 years, it stays at 48. So I don't know. I, I just, I really think there's deficiencies in the collective bargaining agreement. I've been very vocal about that. I got attacked by union leadership last year for saying it because I was so vocal and people were following me and the players, etc. But that's where we are. That's my take. 17 games is a reality. You know, others can talk about the scheduling and how they do that. Obviously, there's going to be more international flavor home games this year for one conference, home games next year for the other conference in terms of that ninth home game. And we'll see where it goes. But the NFL has won again. They were strategic. I said this before. They went to the players. They got two things. They got 10 years of labor peace and they got 10 years of 17 games. They then went to the networks. They got that. And oh my God, what a deal they made with the media. $100 billion. They're savage negotiators. They're relentless. Okay. Now, before we get to Kaylin, I want to give you um, a word from another sponsor that has just joined us. It's Cuts Clothing. And listen, 
the sport of business, which is their tagline, which fits so well, means demanding excellence from your craft, from your wardrobe, your fits, and these are what they are, need to be versatile. Cuts clothing, I'm starting to wear it. I really like it. It blends style and comfort. You look as good as you feel. They have shirts, polos, hoodies, crew sweatshirts made for a guy, hopefully like me, works hard, plays hard, never settles for less, all in the sport of business. In 2016, the Cuts founder, Steve Borelli, just wanted to create clothes for every day, for, for the modern man. GQ calls it the only shirt worth wearing. That's the Pika Pro, the tri-blend tee. I love that. I like the hoodie, uh, the Hyperloop French Terry fabric. It it's really feels good no matter what the weather. There's the uh, Each piece of clothing has this custom-engineered fabric. Really feels good, really comfortable, and we can wear it with anything. So this is not just a lifestyle. This is not just clothing. It's office. It's leisure apparel for the sport of business. So get 15% off your first order. Go to cutsclothing.com slash BOS for business of sports. Again, cutsclothing.com slash BOS for 15% off the only shirt worth wearing, Cuts Clothing. Yeah, now I want to bring on a friend that I worked with and lucky enough to work with at Sports Illustrated, the MMQB, back in the day, she was yeah. at the beginning. Kaylin Kaler, actually, you weren't there at the beginning, but you came in soon after. And uh, great to have you on the pod now with Defector and writing great stuff. I want to get to the subject of your recent columns. But first, welcome to the podcast. Good to be back. I see you now. It's been so long. We used to work together. Hello. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, how's it been working at the new site, Defector? It's honestly amazing because we don't have any horrible bosses here. Um, so we're just, you know, the writers co-own the website. It was started, for those who don't know, it was started by all of the writers who walked out of their jobs at Deadspin about a year and a half ago because um, they had issues with their management that had recently taken over. They quit after one of the editors was fired and it was kind of like the solidarity moment where they all quit the job. Um, then a finance guru from who worked at Bain reached out to them and was like, Hey, I love what you guys did. Let me know if you want to start your own company. Like if you want to start something, let me know. I want to help you. And that's kind of what happened over the last year. They launched in September um, as Defector and we're totally subscriber based. Like we don't have any ads. Um, all of our revenue is coming from our subscribers and we're doing really well. So they were able to hire a couple new writers, um, which was me and Laura Wagner. So that was really exciting because I used to read a ton of Deadspin and yeah. I, was a big, I was a big fan of all of those um, reporters, writers and editors there. And they just kind of started their own thing and it's super transparent and we write whatever we want to and we write as much as we want to. So it's really cool. And they're all really creative and fun people to work with. So it's been exciting to be part of it. And I'm hoping, I think we're all hoping like this experiment of the model that we have can be something that can be replicated because we don't have funding coming from, you know, a venture capital owner or something like that, that you see all over the place. And then, they just decide to lay everyone off when they're not profiting enough. Right, right. So it's been awesome. It's a really cool experiment. 
You still got your Time Inc. hat on there. <laughs> I know. I actually like wear this hat all the time because it's black and white. So it kind of goes with everything. And it's also like a fun like TBT because Time Inc. obviously no longer exists. Um, oh, yeah. No, I don't even think about that anymore. Yeah. So I, I like this hat as like a throwback. Well, you're talking to one of, one of the two and you know the other one very well. Me and Jenny Brentis are the only... Uh, remaining vestiges <laughs> of right. MNQB that right. so many people like you, Peter, and others have, go, have come through. We were there at the beginning. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of Jenny, she's written on this, and you have too. And I wanted to get to the Deshaun Watson case. I know a lot of people are asking me my opinion on it. Again, I try to withhold opinion until knowing the facts and knowing the reporting. And I saw what you wrote at Defector. So... Let's just update everyone. I think, to me, before I say anything, Kayla, this is unbelievable because it was a month ago, if that, mm -hmm. where this dominating conversation around sports was all these quarterbacks, especially Watson, and if Jared Goff and Wentz went for this, how many, five draft picks, he's going to get three starters, where's he going to go? He's never going to stay in Houston. It's going to be a disaster. they got to get rid of him. Miami, Jets, whatever. Uh, no one's talking about that anymore. <laughs> no one's talking about trading Deshaun Watson, either trading him or trading for him. Um, so here we are. So to set the stage, we have multiple civil lawsuits filed by attorney Tony Busby. Uh, and the information coming out is obviously not good. As we sit here today, there's now statements from the opposing attorney that representing uh, Watson, uh, Rusty Harden, and it's not really a statement, it's multiple statements from massage therapists who treated Watson and said he was a gentleman and professional and all those things. Okay, so let's start with your reporting, how you got into it, how you reached people, how you developed the information, which is so great to have out there about what Watson has done. Yeah, so I've really just been focusing on so far what I've from what I've reported, it's been focused completely on just reading the lawsuits, which is work that I feel like not enough people are actually doing because right. it's easy to let them just pile up and, you know, I think when the first one came, people wrote it off because it was Tony Busby who has, you know, a certain reputation as a lawyer in Houston. And people were like, well, that's a scummy lawyer. We don't need to believe anything that this guy says. But then, you know, five more came and then five more. And now we're at 21 different lawsuits from 21 different women who um, are all alleging um, sexual misconduct, which ranges from at the worst and most extreme oral sex, forced oral sex, as three of the lawsuits are alleging that. And, you know, at the very least, um, he exposed himself to 20 of the 21. And the the last one that was just filed, the 21st, which occurred in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, she's just alleging that he made obscene requests of her, which was basically that he asked her to stick her fingers inside his anus. Um, so, which was the exact words of the lawsuit. So mm. in that one, she didn't specify that he had exposed himself to her. So he's exposed himself at the very least to 20 of the 21. So that's kind of the range of different acts that are occurring in the lawsuits. And I, last week when they were all piling up, I had 
followed them individually and made sure to sort of read each one as it came out. But it kind of occurred to me that a lot of people were doing that and just kind of providing little like summary updates of each lawsuit. But when you read them all separately, it's easy to not see the pattern of allegations that is going on here. And there are some very specific patterns and very specific details, such as the words that Watson uses when he is trying to, to direct these women to his penis. He will say, like, you know, come up higher, get in there, um, go deeper. And it, all of these women are using these same very specific phrases that they're alleging that Watson is telling them. So um, the story that I wrote last week was at the time, there were only 16 lawsuits. So I took all 16 and I, I mean, I have this crazy Google doc where I'm like tracking like mm. which different allegations are occurring in all the different lawsuits with the very specific details. And, um, it, you know, a very specific pattern emerges of how he likes to establish, allegedly he likes to establish privacy in these. Um, in many of the lawsuits, he is asking very specifically if the woman will be alone because sometimes these are taking place at um, spas or salons. Sometimes they're at his house. I think there are two or three that occurred at his home. There's several that occurred at the plaintiff's home because a lot of these women um, with their massage therapy, they take their business to wherever the client is or wherever the client wants to. They're sort of mobile massage therapists. So um, he appears to have a suite at the Houstonian that he uses a lot, which is a hotel in Houston. Um, that's the scene of several of them. So, you know, I just kind of sifted through and I looked for all the similar details. And so he likes to establish privacy. He often refuses to wear the standard draping or the, or, or he requests to have like a small towel instead. Um, and the small towel like only covers his butt because he likes to get fully undressed, um, underneath, um, which isn't super abnormal, but then yeah. he will like specifically two, two of them um, said that he actually brought a tiny towel with like his own small hand towel, uh, which is strange. So um, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So, and then many of them um, will allege that at some point in the massage, he will flip over and purposely knock off the towel. And that is, the most common way that he exposes himself to these women. So there's just a lot of like patterns, um, the privacy, the towel shenanigans, um, you know, the words that he uses. And then there, I think there were um, six or seven where he's directing the women specifically to his anus. Um, one in which he actually forced the woman to, you know, uh, stick her hand in there. Um, so yeah, the pattern, when I looked at all of them together, I just wanted to see, you know, what is going on here? How are these similar? How are these allegations lining up? He also frequently uses Instagram to contact the women. Um, there's, I believe four or five where he didn't do that, where he was either booked through the spa manager or through a mutual friend or something like that. But Instagram is one of the ways that he, he, um, reaches out to these women and contacts them directly. And in the last one actually was really interesting. Um, the one in Arizona, the woman, uh, he had asked for a referral to a massage therapist in Scottsdale because obviously he doesn't live in Scottsdale. And he asked from a yoga teacher that he knows and the yoga teacher, he asked her specifically for a female massage therapist. And so far, all of these allegations are coming from women and all of the um, statements uh, supporting him provided by his lawyer, Rusty Harden. They were also all women. Um, so, so far as we know, 
we haven't heard from a male massage therapist who has worked on Deshaun Watson in any capacity. So he requested a woman. And then he also requested from this Scottsdale yoga teacher, he requested to see their Instagram profiles Mm -hmm. so that he could choose. And now that could be totally normal behavior of like, let me just see, you know, how they market themselves. Cause a lot of these women are small business owners. They use Instagram as their platform to attract clients and to market their business. So it could be absolutely above board here. It's not on its own. That is not incriminating, but it's interesting when we look at the pattern here of they're all women. A lot of them are contacted on Instagram. Um, So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I have done is like, I mean, I've done some other reporting too that I haven't really written about yet, but everything I've written about so far is literally straight from these, straight from these lawsuits and just sort of tracking the similarities and, you know, there's a few that have mentioned that he wanted them to sign an NDA, which is also really interesting. Um, and, you know, he is a famous person. So again, famous people sometimes want everyone who work with them to sign NDAs. But when we look at it as a whole, it's it's really interesting pattern of behavior that's it's being alleged. I mean, and you just said it at the outset, like people even here, I'm a lawyer and I just sort of read one and I'm like, OK, and then maybe later I'll look at another. But you've done the whole pattern. I mean, you've done the whole panoply of lawsuits, at least at that point. And these are patterns. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like, let me ask a couple of things. One, what's the time frame we're talking about here? Yeah. And so the- how much of this is during COVID and did that sort of inhibit things? And it seemed like he was very active getting massages at a time where I know. people weren't touching each other. So one of the recent ones filed today, actually, he did use the excuse or I mean, maybe it was a valid excuse. The reason that he gave for wanting to book one of the women that filed their lawsuit last night that was public today was that his regular massage therapist through the Texans was not available because of coronavirus. Um, so again, that that's maybe valid. That could be true. This was in uh, July. I believe this one was in July. So yeah, that could absolutely be true. Um, but you know, so the, so the time frame from the allegations alone, from the lawsuits alone, from the uh, lawsuits that we have, it is March 30th, 2020 is the first alleged incident all the way through March of this year, 2021. Wow. So there was an incident that occurred this same month, um, which the lawyer for all the women, uh, Tony Busby has said publicly that he, this occurred after he told Watson's camp about the first report Mm. that he had so he claims that he was still continuing this behavior after being told like you know we have a civil lawsuit we're going to file against you for this so that's the time frame of the allegations it's about a year um jenny ventus's report was fall of 2019 so that is an earlier one that was also really similar to all of the allegations from the civil lawsuits. Um, a lot of the way that she described what happened to her with um, him exposing himself when he flipped over with the towel, um, wanting her, you know, saying she could move his penis out of the way, you yeah. know, kind of wanting her to touch it. A lot of that lined up with what the civil lawsuits are also describing. And that one was the fall of 2019. So that would be pre COVID, obviously. So I think. And then the women who provided the statements supporting him, um, the earliest one from that, from what I read from Pro Football Talk today, was 
just the year 2017. One of the women yeah. said, oh, I've been working with him since 2017. So that's where we get like this four year time period of since 2017 till now, he has, as far as we know, he has worked with at least 40 massage therapists, which is kind of wild. It's a huge well, yeah, number. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, having been with the Packers 10 years, there were one or two, and I know it's a small town, but there were one or two therapists that most of the team used, including myself, and they were just kind of known. Mm-hmm. These, these women do great work and good body work. And, and I know is teams have like recommendation. You just mentioned something. I didn't even know that there's a Texans person that they use. And he said to someone, my Texans massage therapist is not available. So maybe, you know, in addition to the 40, maybe he was getting real massages from the Texans person. Um, But the Instagram thing, again, I'm older. I don't, I'm not a big, I'm a Twitter guy, but my question, Kalen, is can you like reach out on Instagram to someone that doesn't follow you or? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then is he just kind of looking at profiles and, and asking yeah. strangers? So massages? what I think is probably happening, this is just me, um, you know, kind of conjecturing here. So I'm looking at my stats right now. So of the 21, 16, he, con- he contacted via Instagram. Um, I've done my own searches of just like massage therapists. I've been really curious, like massage therapist Houston, like searching different hashtags, different things like that. Massage therapist Atlanta, whatever. Um, and you can find a lot of different women who are massage therapists, like via their accounts, just by searching that way. Um, however, I think it's more likely that he was referred, like some of them mentioned like specifically like, oh, one, he was a mutual friend with, but he still contacted her via Instagram. Mm. And then um, Tony Busby said that he was referred to one from his personal quarterbacks coach, Quincy Avery, and another he was referred to by a Texans trainer. And I think by that, I think like they got, he got her name and then he just messaged her later. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think like a lot of the finding them might be through other players or through other people. And one of the first lawsuits actually mentioned that after her experience with Deshaun, several other NFL players reached out to her mm-hmm. trying to book her. So you would think that Deshaun sent them her way. So I think it probably happens the other way too, where like other players are sending Deshaun the name of someone else, you know? And if like he's in LA, for instance, which one of them occurred in LA, he's probably asking someone he knows in LA Hey, who do you use out here? And then he's going to Instagram to message them. And that's basically what happened in the Scottsdale, Arizona um, situation as well. So I think like Instagram is like his texting basically. Um, And since he's a verified account, like when you, if you were to get a message from him, I think people are responding, you know, and like taking it seriously because it's like, Oh, this guy's like verified. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to work with him. Like he's, he can write me like a client testimonial that will like shoot my business through the roof. Right. So I think that's what's going on here. And then one thing you mentioned that you just mentioned, um, that kind of reminded me to mention this as part of his pattern is, um, you know, we haven't heard from a massage therapist who is specifically contracted by the Texans. And that is part of his pattern. Alleged pattern is many of these women 
um, have never worked for Texans players. 17, by my count, 17 of the 21 have never worked for a Texans player. And reading into that, is that on purpose? It leads you to question, is that specific to take this behavior away from his workplace? Um, That's what it makes me think. But that's a very specific part of his pattern. And then another part of the pattern of allegations is some of these women um, were not even trained in massage therapy. Really? Yeah. And they specifically, I think there were four or five um, who specifically told him they did they were not trained in this. They were either estheticians, which is like skin um, services, or they were trained in stretch therapy or other types of body work, but like not specifically massage therapy. So they booked them nonetheless. Yep. And he was, he was like insistent to book them saying like, Oh, don't worry about it. Like, I just want to relax. Like, you know, I'll show you how to do it or essentially. And these women, again, as I just mentioned are like, Oh, this is an important client. Like I should work with this guy. I guess he's right. Like, you know, whatever. I just want to have his business, not suspecting, you know, not jumping to the conclusion that we know maybe they should have jumped to. Um, but yeah, so that's another part of his pattern is like some of these women like were not trained in that or they were working towards their license but didn't have it and told him that like I'm not licensed yet and he was like, "Oh, it's fine. It's fine." Um and in one of the in a, a couple of those cases they specifically mentioned that their lack of training in this area made them this is the plaintiff's words in these lawsuits made them doubt that what was happening to them was assault like they questioned well maybe this is normal for the guy to just be totally naked and not want to cover himself like maybe i just don't know because i'm not trained in this area well i think we saw that in some of the statements from the women that were making statements on behalf of deshaun's attorney rusty harden i know specifically one said something about hey almost as if to say hey hey women this happens. You brush up against the penis. It happens. Right. It was almost like that kind of attitude from at least one of those. It seemed like at the beginning there was a marketing agent somehow that Rusty Harden brought out um, that almost acted yeah. like, and maybe I misread it, that one of these encounters was consensual. Yeah. He he said it was consensual, uh, which is interesting because he didn't say that it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and actually, they haven't said that any of these appointments didn't happen, uh, which the, the Deshaun. Yeah. That's, yeah. Deshaun's yeah. camp has not denied that these things didn't happen. And I think they're going to with their if this does end up in a trial situation, um, actually seeing a court uh, date, you know, obviously they're going to try to paint it as consensual or kind of play up maybe the gray area there. Um But yeah, so his marketing manager, Brian Bernie, said he had like a uh, signed like statement where he's, yeah, where he said that um, the plaintiff from the third lawsuit, I believe it was, which is one where she alleges forced oral sex, um, that she was actually blackmailing them and had her and her, whoever's representing her, her manager, whoever it was, I think he used the phrase manager, I can't remember. Um, that he was asking for $30,000 yeah. 
And Brian Bernie was like, well, we have nothing to hide. It was, it was a consensual encounter. And then, you know, the manager for this woman, uh, like admitted that it was blackmail or extortion. So they were trying to discredit plaintiff three, um, by saying that she had already reached out to try to get $30,000 from him in some attempt to like settle so that she doesn't tell. I think they use the phrase that like, if, if it did get out there, it would be embarrassing for Deshaun. Um, and then that's when Brian Bernie said it was a, a consensual encounter. So yeah, they've already, they've tried to discredit plaintiff three by kind of painting her as out for money. When you read through these lawsuits, what are they asking for? Is it monetary damages? Uh, They're all doing the minimum, um, jurisdictional minimum, I think is like the phrase that was used. So they're trying to say that it's not about the money. And actually every lawsuit has the same sentence. There's like a copy paste paragraph in all of them where it's like, this lawsuit is not about the money. Like they, they say like, we want Deshaun to um, realize what he's doing wrong and like save other, you know, prevent this from happening to future women. But we all know that civil lawsuits are about money in the end, because if Deshaun Watson, and you know better than I as a lawyer, but if Deshaun Watson wants to get rid of this, the way to do that is to, you know, I don't know, what do you do? Mediation and then you pay them all. Um, so yeah. it, it is going to result in money. Like we can't say that it's not about money because to, to get rid of this, if there are no criminal charges, if none of this goes that direction, which now the attorney for all the women said uh, he's not going to work with the Houston police in a very confusing statement that yeah. he put out last night. He was like, I'm not going to be working with them. We're going to go through other agencies. So it's really unclear what the criminal future for any of this would be. But the fact that there are three that um, allege forced oral sex, you would think there could be some kind of criminal charge for some of these if they do end up cooperating with police. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, um, he's not going to cooperate with police. I don't remember what your question was now. I'm off track. Um, yeah, no, I mean, in the, you just said it in terms of what they're asking for at the end of the world. Oh, right. Yeah. It's not about the money, but I, again, this is a, this, we can be as open and honest and in, in wording as we want here. You said three are oral sex. Now, did the other women get out without having to do something unprofessional or was yeah. there, was there I, one was like a bear had bear mace something. Yeah. So I mean, how did these other ones end without the violent end of the oral sex? So the ones that um, didn't get that far were there's several different ways that these ended. Um, let me pull out my list here. Uh, some he masturbated in front of. There were two that he masturbated in front of them. So that's kind of how that ended. And Did then those women stay in the room. Did they try to get out? Did, um, it doesn't say. Like a lot of them don't really. A lot of them really depict like the mental anguish and like yeah. stress and um, fear. Because a lot of times these women were alone, and as we kind of established earlier, like he made sure that they were alone. Um, right. And for some of them, like there were a lot of single moms in this group and the single mom thing kept coming up where it was like, this is their only source of income. Like they, at the end, they like needed to be paid for this session. So they're, they don't want to 
you know, piss him off so that he leaves without paying them. But that actually was something that he did in a few of these situations. Like he only paid them part of what they were owed. And then in a few of the situations, he even said it was because they didn't do what he thought they would or like he wasn't satisfied. So I think in a few of these situations, he may have even entered it thinking that the woman knew what he wanted, like the happy ending situation that he was after. And then, you know, she didn't know and was not on board for that. Yeah. But he's thinking that that's what he already committed to pay for. Um, There were a, a few situations that were like that where he, and there were a few more where he even offered to pay more for mm. them to uh, touch his penis. So, yeah. So the ones, and, and there were a few that they said, no, like I'm not tolerating this behavior. Like this is not a sexual massage. Like this is not acceptable. And they ended it, but he'd already like exposed himself. So there's a few that only allege that he exposed himself and then touched his penis to their hand. And then they were like, no, like this is not okay. We're done. You know, and they the, never saw him again. Yeah. They ended it. So there, so the ones that did, not go that far that's how that occurred but yeah i mean each one was sort of a unique situation um as far as how the women handled it because there were there were six uh that had more than one appointment with him um and the most that one of the plaintiffs saw him was four times and each of these plaintiffs that had a repeat experience with him it started out maybe okay the first like the first appointment was like, okay, that was weird that he was naked, but uh, maybe, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to do a second appointment with him. And then as each time it just got progressively worse and he got progressively, allegedly he got progressively more aggressive with his demands and, you know, more, you know, his, he was not holding back essentially. So, you know, people, a lot of people, I think when they see that, Oh, one woman went to him four times. They they yeah. doubt that they doubt that woman naturally because you're like, well, why would you keep going back? But her lawsuit very specifically says, and I actually have the quote right here. Um, after the third session, Watson inundated plaintiff with messages requesting another session. She was afraid of what Watson would do to her career if she did not submit to his request. She felt forced and trapped. Because Watson had a lot of clout and power as an NFL player. Watson was in control. Plaintiff reluctantly agreed to a fourth session. So, I mean, that's exactly why some of the women kept scheduling with him right there. Did this happen? We talked about Tony Busby a little bit, maybe different kind of reputation as a lawyer, but obviously very bombastic and out front. Are we to believe that he started with one and then the calls started coming in and he, he went public. He said something to that effect. I don't remember his exact quote, but when he did have a press conference about two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, um, he did say something to that effect, but he wasn't specific with how many they had before, you know, the others came in because they published one at first. And then I believe it was, maybe two or three days later. And then there were more. So I'm not sure if he had one and then all the rest came or if he had three and then the rest came like, but I I think it's very safe to say he had a small group. And then once the first lawsuit was made public, a bunch more came calling. What do you think happens, Kayla? 
I think he will get put on the commissioner's exempt list. I think that's kind of inevitable, um, which means he would be paid, but he would not be able to play next season um, or for however long he's on the list. Uh, what if he does do what we both have mentioned, the mediation, the settlement sometime before the season starts? I think the NFL is still going to have to issue some kind of suspension. They are investigating. And a lot of people have been comparing this to Ben Roethlisberger, but I think that yeah. is not anywhere near what we're dealing with here. That was ben, one percent. Yeah. That was, yeah. And actually, well, he had two, right? He had those two. two right. He had two alleged, was it rape, I, I believe? Well, we I think the reason he got suspended six games maybe wasn't two incidents. It was just, just the one, the call, the Milledgeville, Georgia one. Yeah. yeah right. Like bathroom with a woman. Right. There was a lot of investigation and no criminal charges. That's what I've been saying. Yeah. The precedent's not good because people are like, well, it's not criminal. Of course it doesn't matter. Right. You know, I think Elliot, no criminal charges and yeah. Jameis Winston, no criminal charges. You know? Yeah. And I think just the sheer number of women that we're yeah. dealing with here, 21, like, you can't you can't use Ben Roethlisberger as the comparison here because, I mean, I think there has games. I mean, that. right. So this suspension is it's got to be more than that unless something happens where they're all, you know, discredited completely. Like I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what that would be. But I think yeah. I guess unless the league's investigation determines that he is like innocent of all of this, then sure, I guess he could play next year. But I think he's going to face a very. It should be a really significant suspension based off of just the sheer number of allegations. I mean, this is unprecedented. We don't have anything to compare yeah. this to. We really don't. So well, you mentioned it earlier, and as a lawyer, I find it so interesting that. We now have Rusty Hardin's comment, statement, response, and it's all these women saying he was a gentleman during their massages. But as you said so so astutely, we haven't heard about all these others. What's the response to these twenty-one women? Right, and he's not, just not he so just so added so. to the he just added to the mayhem, like because now there's forty women who he's had an appointment with. Like that doesn't necessarily make him look less guilty i don't know that's my well opinion. the 40 massages thing i mean I, I know people are going to push back and say well he's a multimillionaire. why can't he have you know if he wants a massage every day who cares why why does he have to go to the same people over and over again i get it but the reality i can just say on my podcast the reality is athletes find a masseuse they like and stick with them once a week twice a week three times a week maybe there's two or three maybe there's three or four like you said in their hometown, in their playing city. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you look at, if you just look at the timeline, like when one of my stories, and now it's, it's an outdated timeline because now there are like five more lawsuits to add yeah. to it. But if you just scroll through this timeline of a year, I mean, there are just, now we even have two alleged incidents on the same day from two separate plaintiffs, Monday, October 19th, 2020. Really? He had one at 11.30 a.m. at her office. Um, in Houston and then another at another plaintiff's office, the time wasn't given. So I would assume it was later that day um, at her office. So, really? yeah. And then there was a lawsuit that came out uh, yesterday or maybe it was Monday um, where he, she, he had, he said he had come from a massage at the Texans 
to his next massage. So he already had one. Then he got the second one. And he, you know, I can't remember the details of what went down in there, but I think he exposed himself to her at the very least. And, you know, she was very uncomfortable. And as he was leaving her, he tried to schedule another massage with her on the same day. Same day. So that would have been his third massage that day. It didn't end up getting scheduled because she was like, I don't want to work with him again. Like I, this is, that was a bad experience. Um, but that plaintiff alleges that he tried to set up a second massage with her that day, which based off of what he told her earlier would have been his third massage on the same day. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's in this timeline, you see like repeat on the same day and there's like many instances per month. And then, yeah, yeah I mean, just the effort to find another one and to talk to her on Instagram and, and then, do it the next week and the next yeah. week is just a lot of work. And then the whole time we haven't even talked about this is COVID. So right. I assume he's walking in with mask. She's wearing a mask. There was one that said that he specifically alleged that he specifically asked her to take her mask off. And she was like, no, but he wanted her to. Otherwise, honestly, a mask has not been mentioned in any of them except for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, if that was his goal, why? I don't know. I mean, why not engage sex work? (laughs) I think a lot of people have that question. And I think if these allegations, according to these allegations, I think the answer to that would be it's the power balance. That is what he's after, the power imbalance. Um, You know, I think we've seen this with other men who have been accused of similar things and it's the lack of consent. <laughs> that is the fetish. If that's true. I mean, cause that's one of the most frequent questions that, you know, commenters on defector are asking and people on Twitter and just anybody who reads this, it's like, that's the question that that's the first question that you ask. And I think that's likely the answer. Um, you know, it's, we can never, we'll never know really what the answer is, but it feels like that's what's going on. If these allegations are true. I'll let you go in a minute. Is there any reading of these lawsuits that you can come up with in the most favorable light to Watson? I know it's a tough question. Um, there are, I guess like, like he think, wants massages, but he wants happy endings. Not that that's a yes. I think that. that's the best case scenario is that he thought it was consensual. Like he thought that this is what this person did and it's not what they did. And it was, a you know, maybe they can paint it as a miscommunication. That's not going to work for all of them because right. there are some that are very specific about she said, no, she said she doesn't do this. She said, no, whatever, you know, like there are, there are several that have very specific denials and very clear rejections. Some don't have the very clear rejections because they were scared or they were in shock or they were doubting their training, as I mentioned earlier. So I think the ones that don't have the clear rejections, there's probably a little leeway to, you know, play with that gray area and maybe that comes out look better for him, but that's not going to work for all of them. In looking through, do you have, 
I'm not not identities, but do you have pictures? Are there pictures anywhere of these women? I haven't seen any. No, because they're all anonymous so far. Right. Now, the ones in the witness state or in the statements supporting him from Rusty Hardin, they have first and last names. So right. those women, you could go Google them right now, and you could probably find photos of them. Um, the rest are anonymous so far. The Sports Illustrated woman was also anonymous. So those ones, we don't have any sort of... There's a lot of identifying information about them in the lawsuits, but there isn't their actual name or, you know, any sort of image. And do you think, I again, I'm repeating a question here. Do you think their goal, aside from money, is to protect future massage therapists? I do. And that's specifically what the woman who talked to Jenny um, said. And she had also talked to Tony Busby and said she decided not to sign a contract for him to represent her because she felt really pressured by him and his agency to do that, um, which I totally understand. And so she's not sure right now she's going to pursue any legal action. Um, But the reason she talked to Jenny is because she saw Deshaun's blanket denial because actually before any of these lawsuits were even made public, Deshaun went on Twitter and issued a statement that said he had just never treated a woman with anything but the utmost respect. And he even said in his statement that he had not read the claims. At the time, we only thought there was one lawsuit. Right. We didn't know how many there were. I'm not sure what he knew at that time. He might have only thought it was one. He may have known there were more. It's not clear. But he issued this. Where he said, excuse me, that they reached out wanting a six-figure settlement. Yes. Yes. So he tried to discredit he his statement discredited Tony Busby um, as a lawyer. I forget exactly the words that he used, but he discredited him as lawyer. He said he wanted a six figure statement. And he said, it's not about the money for me. Like I'm going to fight for my reputation. And he said, I've never treated women with anything but the utmost respect. So without even specifically referencing any woman's claims or the first woman's claims, and he said he hadn't even read the first woman's claims, he said he just denied everything. Um, So the woman who talked to Johnny Brenta said one of the reasons she wanted to talk is she was like really offended by his blanket denial because she knows that to be false. And she knows that in her profession, you know, massage therapists, as we saw with, you know, the shooting that happened in Atlanta, I mean, this is a vulnerable profession because there is sort of that gray area of sex work to massage therapy And I guess some people like don't understand the difference. Um, So, I I mean, and that's something I'm going to do going forward is just start talking to massage therapists who aren't even involved with this, just to say, does this happen to you a lot? Like, is this common that you are rejecting these advances or is this really out of the ordinary? So, but the woman who talked to Jenny, um, you know, she said that was one of her goals was to get more respect for this profession. Um, so people don't think of it in that way. So that is one of the reasons why she talked and told her story. And she was also like personally motivated to do so because of Watson's denial before he even knew any of the claims. Yeah, it is opening up our eyes to what is going on in these, in these massages. And is that something that is common? And yeah, I mean, if you're, in, if you're, someone's contacting you on Instagram, taking away the blue check mark and famous person 
it may not be just someone who, who can't find any masseuse anywhere else. I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah, I think like I'm 27. I didn't think it was that weird that he was like scheduling something on Instagram, to be honest. Like I've, I've heard a lot of people like really fixate on the Instagram thing as like, yeah. well, that's, you know, that's a sign that that's not a real massage. But it's like, I don't, you know, there's a lot of license and in there in the account like it'll say like so-and-so lmt like licensed massage yeah, therapist yeah, yeah. um I think that's so good. yeah i kind of view instagram as like a pretty normal place to be doing whatever you know i don't think it's necessarily you know subversive or in any way it's been great kaylin anything else you want to add what do you what do we look for next here on march 31st now as i said we've said rusty harden put out these statements of women for the defense today i assume we'll have more lawsuits we're at yeah 21 and counting yeah i think there will be more lawsuits um i think i i just feel like this is only half of it like yeah with a lot of these things it just it starts and then it just really starts to steamroll and i think i don't know what point we're at in it but if we're already at 21 like you know i just feel like there are probably a lot more and one question that i'm looking into is you know when did this start for him like when did it actually begin um because i've done a lot of reporting on the 2017 draft with those quarterbacks deshaun watson mitch trubisky um and patrick mahomes and talked to a ton of scouts across the league who did work on all three of those quarterbacks including some who worked for the texans at that time and I had heard nothing, like on, like literally nothing about Deshaun yeah, Watson. Highest character, highest work ethic, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So that's what I'm wondering is how did this? When did this start? Yeah. When you have no concerns, and it's very possible that nobody just knew about it, and it was still it was going on then, but it was just nobody knew about it um, because maybe there were no because if there aren't police reports. If there aren't incident reports, if there yep. isn't a Title IX report, you might not know. You may not find out. Is there anything in the lawsuits why the women didn't come to any criminal authorities? It doesn't specifically address why they didn't. Um, I'm assuming it's the reason why most sexual assault victims don't come forward is just shock and fear. Yeah. Um, Again, an embarrassment. Ask, like you said, the cynic is going to ask 21 and not one said a word to yeah. the authority. Also, a lot of them, I think, so there isn't like an HR for these women. Like yeah. a lot of them are self-employed, small yeah. business owners. Well, what about the spa, the ones referred by the spa owner, the one referred by the hotel? Yes, they did like complain to their managers, yeah. I think. In a couple instances it said like they talked to their manager. Um, and then in a lot of them, which is good for these cases to prove, you know, that they are true because there's not a ton of evidence in these. There's some text messages referenced. There's some Instagram messages that are referenced that are slightly incriminating for Deshaun where it could read as an admission of he knowing he did something wrong where he's checking in to say, are you okay? Hope that wasn't bad. That kind of thing. There's a yeah. few where there are those messages, which are obviously going to be used if this does go to court to, to uh, bolster this, these women's stories. But there's a bunch 
um, where they confided in, I think the term is contemporaneous witness, like someone who they talked to that same day or very shortly afterwards about what happened to them with Deshaun. So those people, okay. you know, are the ones who would be called to testify right. if it did, if right. it did go to a trial. So parties, but friends. no, but like moms, husbands, moms, yeah. whatever, like friends, close friends, family members. So that's probably the most, as far as the evidence in their favor goes, it's texts, um, DMs, possibly phone records for the ones who are claiming that he called them all the time and wouldn't stop reaching out to them. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, the contemporaneous witnesses, the, the family and friends that they confided in. All right. We'll keep following it. Yeah. It's definitely going to be ongoing. <laughs> yeah. I hope to have you back when we have some more developments. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Kaylin Keller with Defector, my old friend from MMQB. Great to have you. Great to see you again. Really, thanks for this great information, and, and your reporting is excellent, as usual. Thank you. Great information from Kaylin Kaler of Defector. Keep following her work. She's going to be, keep working on this, and we'll have her back to update us. But, you know, with all the information out there, but Deshaun Watson, just hearing it from someone who's read through the lawsuits, hey, I'm a lawyer, I have not, and really establish these patterns and seeing all the things she shared with us, great information. Thanks, as always, for joining me on the Business with Sports podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Get my newsletter if you don't already. Andrew-Brandt.com is where you register. Get it every Sunday morning, Sunday 7. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, to my musical producer, Sam Brandt, Boy Blue Tunes. Apple Podcast rankings and comments always appreciated. Give us a ranking if you would. Be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports.